Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not the Bible is pro-slavery and we are starting right now with Aaron's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us again, Aaron. The floor is all yours. Thank you. Asking whether the Bible is pro-slavery allows three options, pro, con, or neutral. The mere fallible people who wrote the sacred scriptures should have or could have taken a neutral position, uh, choosing not to comment on slavery at all. But we know that the Bible does talk about slavery a lot, and everything it says about it permits the practice to continue in all its forms, as if approved by God. Otherwise, the Bible could uh, could either condemn slavery, which it never does, or advocate for it, saying that it's okay, you can do that, which it actually does do. Leviticus 25 is an example of the Bible being pro-slavery, saying that you may have slaves, male and female. You have God's permission to do that. And now later in the same chapter, it says that the Hebrew people are not allowed to capture prisoners to make them into slaves, that instead, God says that you shall buy them from the strangers who sojourn among you. Although there is a later provision that refugees captured in wartime will become your slaves too. Either way, it's still pro-slavery. And this is a problem for those who don't have an objective standard of morality, no criteria by which to determine whether something is or isn't moral, like the universal understanding that a particular action or choice is immoral or wrong if it somehow diminishes happiness, well-being, or health, or if it somehow causes unnecessary harm or suffering or both. Those who rely on authority rather than reason have no reason by which to determine what is or is not moral. So. They have to turn to some alleged prophet pretending to speak for their God to tell them what is or isn't moral and never explain to them why it is or isn't. And consequently, here we have the Hebrew God saying that it's okay to have slaves, that you may buy them from foreigners and even buy their children and keep them all as slaves for life. And God says that that's all fine and dandy and neither Jehovah nor Jesus ever say otherwise anywhere. And this is what led Confederate President Jefferson Davis to conclude that slavery was established by decree of Almighty God, that it is sanctioned in the Bible in both Testaments from Genesis to Revelation. So there was a missed opportunity here. The Bible could have condemned slavery, and it would have had it not been written by slavers. It should have explicitly stated that it is a sin or an abomination or otherwise forbidden for one person to own another, the same type of prohibition the Bible gives for so many other things. The Bible says that it's an abomination to eat shellfish or to mix wool and linen in the same garment, that it is a violation of the Ten Commandments to boil a baby goat in its own mother's milk or to kill another person, unless you're sacrificing disobedient children or you have to murder your brother for believing in other gods. And it's a sin to be angry or arrogant or conceited or lustful or to, or to work on the Sabbath or to be divorced and remarried. The Bible prohibits all of these things explicitly. But the so-called word of God somehow forgot to say, oh, by the way, it's also wrong or evil for one person to own another and to force the subservience of another as property. The Bible never says that, nor anything like that, neither in the Old Testament nor in the New. If it did say that somewhere, if there was some contradiction, like when the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, but then in the next chapter it says, kill every man and his brother, then my opponent might have a point to argue from, but... This is one of those rare instances where the Bible does not contradict itself. It only ever advocates for slavery and never, ever challenges that institution on any grounds, not even morality. 
At best, we have that one line in Leviticus 25 that you may have slaves from other nations, but you must not rule over your fellow Israelites ruthlessly, implying that it's perfectly fine to abuse foreign slaves as brutally as you like. Exodus 21 allows that you can even torture them if you want to. You just can't legally kill them or leave them physically disabled. But if they get up after a couple of days, then it doesn't matter because they are your property, not their own. And remember that you can only do that with foreign slaves, not with Hebrew slaves, the Israelites, because it says that those slaves should be afforded more rights than the slaves of other ethnicities get. However, even they can still be bought and sold and forced into servitude by virtually anyone, even other Hebrews. And sure, Exodus is supposed to be all about freeing the slaves, but it's only talking about a particular group of Hebrew slaves, the ones being held en masse by the Egyptian government. But even in that same chapter, it still allows that Hebrews may keep other Hebrews as slaves. And just as Numbers 5 expressly allows abortion with God's approval and assistance, explaining the particulars for how that is to be done and never makes any prohibition against that, so too do both the Old and New Testaments give their God's permission for slavery, along with his guidelines for how that is to be done, and how the slaves are supposed to honor God in service to their masters. Even Jesus said that, that slaves should obey their masters in fear, the same way they would obey Christ, as if they were slaves to Christ. So instead of condemning Christianity, instead of condemning slavery, Jesus expresses how he himself is pro-slavery and that Christianity is pro-slavery, which is why we have to assume a slave's position on our knees, heads down, with hands clasped as if bound. Even when God is playing these games with Pharaoh and hardening Pharaoh's hearts just to keep the game going and prolong everyone's suffering unnecessarily, when God tells Moses, these are the laws that you are to set before them, the very first one specifically gives God's permission to buy and keep slaves. But just as God's laws say that the Jews may not charge interest on loans to other Jews, it also allows that Hebrews may buy and keep Hebrew slaves, but that those slaves have special privilege in that the Hebrew slaves must be set free after seven years. Unless the slave master uh, decides to breed male Hebrew slaves with his other stock, and then the slave falls in love with his new family because the master is not going to let his slave leave with his wife and kids. Not even if they're Hebrew too, because those slaves belong to the one who bought them, not the one who loves them or sired them. The only way the Hebrew slave can stay with his wife is if he gives up any chance at ever having freedom and is thus marked with an awl through his ear to become like his wife and children in that all of them will be always slaves forever. And this is a good deal for the slave breeder because God's law says that female slaves may be bought at half the cost of a male. But then by keeping slave women as breed mares, the master can entice the now dependent Hebrew males into perpetual slavery too. And if that sounds immoral, it gets worse. Because the very next law, the second law purportedly given by God to Moses, allows that a man may sell his own daughter into sex trafficking. Even Hebrew girls don't get the same considerations as Hebrew males, because God's laws are not only racist, they're sexist as well. Now, if a man buys a slave girl as a mate for his son, although she has no right or of refusal or choice, no independent agency whatsoever, she would otherwise be treated as family rather than a slave, because that's as close as a girl in that culture could ever get to freedom. However, if a man buys a slave girl for himself to satisfy his own lust, but then he takes a test drive and decides that he doesn't like her, 
she doesn't please him as expected, then uh, he can't sell her to someone else because she is considered to be damaged. She's used and is thus only good to serve as a housemaid. He can marry other women at the same time because women had no rights then. All, all women in that culture were property of one sort or another. But if he does marry other women, he still has to feed and provide for that one. And he still has to have sex with her, too, because that's one of the few so-called rights that a slave in that culture had, even if it's not one that she wanted. Because if she doesn't please him and he doesn't want to bother with her anymore, he can't sell her to anyone else. But he can always set her free, which means kick her out into the wilderness unprotected, with no money or provisions, so that she will almost certainly be killed or enslaved by someone else shortly thereafter, and he's just out the 10 shekels that he paid for. Because the Bible God not only permits, allows, and promotes slavery, God even set the price, such that the female slaves cost half as much as the men. It will always be 10 shekels for a teenage girl, no matter what the exchange rate is, regardless of inflation and what the price of a bagel is. And it's funny that the Bible says that uh, lust is a sin, but that slavery isn't. Not even when it's the trafficking of children for sexual slavery. Because in Numbers 31, Moses, the lawgiver, commanded his troops to kill all the Midianite boys and uh, every woman who had slept with a man, but that they could keep all the virgins for themselves. The New American Standard Version refers to these captured and traumatized virgins as girls. The New Revised Standard calls them young girls. Well, the King James Version calls them women children, and Young's literal translation calls them infants. And since all of these refer to their young age as distinguished from adults, then these girls would likely have been preteens, according to Jewish tradition of marking that distinction at 12 years old. In any case, it's clear we're talking about kids kept alive only because of the purity of their sex, with that as their only value to their masters. They are inarguably slaves without right of consent or refusal. So taking their virginity is merely a property right. And I've heard the argument that what the Bible calls slavery is not the same as chattel slavery practiced in the U.S. until 1865, that what happened in the Bible was only indentured servitude, like what Jacob in Genesis agreed to voluntarily, and thus would not really be slavery at all, in which case that some definition is in order. Although there are some subtleties to be considered, the simplest definition of slavery is when human beings may be bought and or sold as property to be owned by another person, considered to belong to their master, for whom they are forced to perform labor or other services, while they are also deprived of some, but not necessarily all, of the rights enjoyed by free persons. Within the parent definition, there are a number of subcategories. Bonded slavery is where someone is forced to labor until some debt or other arrangement is satisfied. And this is not like Jacob's voluntary arrangement in Genesis, but it could apply to the males among the Hebrew slaves, though not to the wives given to them by their masters. Leviticus 25 makes clear that they, the wives given to them, are in the category of chattel slaves who can be bought and sold and kept in servitude indefinitely. They are your property forever and may even be inherited by your sons so that they will always be slaves until they die. And this even applies to the children that these slaves produce together, that they will be born into slavery and will belong to their parents' masters until they die or get sold to someone else, regardless what their parents have to say about it. And there are other forms of debt slavery where wages are paid to the slave but are insufficient for the laborer to ever gain independence. And in this case, the trafficking of slaves might not be as obvious as standing them on an auction block, at least not a public one, but it's still effectively the same thing. And so is the enslavement of refugees and prisoners of war, which we see in the Bible quite often. 
either of which might be kept indefinitely for the purpose of forced labor or sexual submission. If the Bible promotes or condones any of these subcategories, then the Bible is pro-slavery. And as we've already seen, different areas of Scripture either promote or permit slavery in all its forms without condemnation or contradiction. Thank you very much for that opening statement, Aaron. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, I am your host, James. Want to welcome you, no matter whether you be Christian, atheist, Muslim, you name it. We're glad that you're here. We hope you feel welcome. We are a neutral channel hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And we've got to tell you, my dear friends, if you haven't seen at the bottom right of your screen, DebateCon 3.1 is our third conference we are putting on. It's going to be in Fort Worth, Texas in just three weeks on Saturday, April 22nd. You don't want to miss it. This is going to be epic. As an example, my dear friends, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen as well, Aaron Raw and T Jump will be debating whether or not religion does more good than harm. You don't want to miss it, so check out the links in the description box. If you're near Fort Worth, there's a link for tickets, as well as maybe you're like, well, James, that's too far of a trip for me. I'm in Alaska or England, whatever it might be. We have a link for a crowdfund. It helps us cover the cost of the venue. If you put in a buck, you can watch the whole conference live from home. We hope to see you there, whether it be virtually or in person. So with that, we're going to kick it over to Converse Contender's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Converse. The floor is all yours. All right, thanks. Is the Bible pro-slavery? Well, no. It's tempting to comment on some of the points that were just raised by Aaron, but I'll save that for my rebuttal and uh, get started here. So let me first uh, start by pointing out that, like, look, I agree that, like, Many, if not most, attempts by Christians to talk about this topic are at best lacking. Christians can be stubborn, reactionary, and traditionalist noted. But with that being said, to quote Quay, this just goes as much for non-believers. They have a chip on their shoulder about this topic, it seems. It's obviously a Cheeto because, you know, atheists are video game playing degenerates. Uh, but I digress. I've found myself in many conversations with atheists where they just want to claim that I'm a no-good slave apologist just for refuting claims that are clearly false. They love to gaslight and then complain about Christians gaslighting them, but it's, some are really actually quite open, so it's good to, to see that. Now, I think the problem is that it's a debate bro culture, but we can move past that. It's very difficult when you've studied a lot of scholarship on and, and read hundreds of pages. You've, you've, you want to cite over you know, 50 or 100 verses, but you only have 15 minutes to do so. So I'm going to have to talk quick, so uh, let me get into it. And don't take it from me. Uh, you know, Do your own research, please. I might be wrong. It won't be the first time. Uh, since Aaron's taking the affirmative position, he will be taking on a burden of proof to show that his claims are true. Tonight, I will defend two basic positions. First, a fairly standard view that the Bible isn't pro-slavery, but instead the Bible shows a development away from the institution in the Old Covenant, which was as common as capitalism is now, and teaches a human ethic in the New Covenant that is incompatible with what we uh, call slavery. And second, somewhat more novel position that goes further, the data in the Bible uh, dealing with what people are calling slavery is uh, better understood as household adoption or marriage. But let's say that second claim can't stand up to scrutiny. The first position is all one needs. To get started, initially I was told that the scholars generally think that there was an ownership of chattel slaves in the ancient Near East, and I didn't say it can't be. Instead, I read the literature and took a position like some 
scholars such as Jay Caballero, a Christian scholar of the ancient Near East who contributed to Dr. Josh's book. Um, the position is basically that it is true that the in the uh, institution that was uh, is similar in ancient Israel, but Jesus fulfilled the law and showed us that some of the laws Moses gave the people were given because they were hard-hearted, and it wasn't like that from the beginning. So in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees tried to trap Christ by asking, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife?" He Christ said that uh, God brings what God brings together, no one should separate. Then the Pharisees said, "Why did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce to our wives?" And and Christ said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed for divorce of your wives, but it was not so from the beginning. We see a principle that there were things allowed for in the legal tradition associated with Moses that weren't ideal, but specifically tolerated because of how barbaric the people were. The beginning is what the ideal life looks like. As people, as one family together, no separations, no divorces, no nations or structures, uh, etc. I think I could just leave it there, but I think Arne would probably ignore a lot of what I just said and ask me about a bunch of verses that he thinks aren't up to today's standards. Uh, but I need to, uh, as if I needed to defend those views. But to continue with this marriage motif and to adopt another motif, I will turn to my second claim. First, the Bible isn't a book. It's a library or a codex of literature arranging many authors over many centuries. When we begin to look at this collection, we have to have a meta narrative and a hermeneutical approach to actually see what the, uh, the text is getting at. But because of how predictable some people are, I know they're going to say that some of the context is just irrelevant to the five or six verses they want to talk about. But to start from the beginning, God had a household prior to creation, um, the heavenly host. God created and ordered a chaotic deep, forming the earth in a place that is habitable for creation, free of disorder. The creature lived in communion with God, but broke uh, brought back disorder, and they fell from God's presence, and now humans lose access to the source of immortality and have to survive. And God makes concessions for his creation for this reason throughout Scripture. For example, first God gave humans plants and fruit for, for food, but after the fall, God uh, allowed them to eat meat, uh, making concessions like this. God uh, is meeting people where they are. You can think about 1 Samuel 8, where the elders of Israel told Samuel to appoint them a king like the other nations had. Samuel was upset and prayed to God, and God said, look, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. They're serving other gods. Let's, you know, Give them a king, but tell them what he's going to require to rule. And he, ta uh, he says, they'll, okay, um, that's fine, but he will take your sons and your daughters and make them serve. He will take your servants and make them serve. He will take you and eventually make you uh, serve him. Um, I want you to think about the most foundational stories in the Bible. After the Tower of Babel, uh, God separates the nations. In the next chapter, God says, okay, they don't want anything to do with me. I'll choose somebody and make a nation for myself. God chooses Abraham, and uh, who's the father of the, the Israelites, and tell him to leave your ancestors' homeland, your father's household, to the land I'll show you. God tells him uh, that he'll be a stranger in another land, doesn't even tell him where he's going, and Abraham keeps being called a foreigner and a sojourner. Then God makes a covenant with Abraham, says he'll bless all the nations of the world. He just disinherited the nations, but now Abraham is going to be the key to blessing all those nations. When Abraham didn't have any children, he said that, God, my servant will inherit my estate, 
all of his things would go to his servant if he passed. Let's look at a, another story. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whom is the name Israel comes from, is mistreated as a servant. Uh, and uh, when you look at what his wives say about their inheritance with their father, they say, um, did we not, uh, you know, do we have any inheritance left in our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? We see the same thing in many other chapters. Let's look at one more um, foundational story. We have Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. The story God vindicates him by raising him through the ranks to become the vizier or second in charge only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And Joseph saved his brothers and countless others from a family. And, and Joseph's whole family were given an inheritance property in Akuzah in the best part of Egypt by the Pharaoh. Like, we get this concession language that uh, when Joseph's brothers realize, they cry and apologize to him. But he says, you brought this about for evil, but God brought it about for good. The found, uh, next foundational story, literally, they were enslaved in Egypt, being treated harshly. God redeemed them. Uh, you know, let my people go, you know, dozens of times that God repeats uh, Israelites uh, throughout the Bible. You should remember when you were slaves in Egypt and so forth. These stories are kind of important for the formation of their beliefs, the things they're supposed to remember. Most people I talk to don't realize that the slave, the, there was a slave Bible in the United States that cut out 90 percent of the Old Testament, 60 percent of the New Testament. I wonder why. But one detail I glossed over is that one of the most important uh, tools to understanding this, uh, why this is allowed for, is the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, as it's called. Most scholars are in vague, uh, pretty much agree on this. Um, Deuteronomy 32 refers back to Babel, and it says that God separated the uh, children of uh, according to the, the the nations according to the number of the sons of God. All throughout the ancient Near East, you have the same. Um, narrative as well with the same number 70 israel uh sacrifices 70 bulls at the uh, feast of booths uh, christ sends out 70 apostles when uh, he's going to um re to reclaim the nations now i want you to read the books like uh, unseen realm there is a um, underlying theme that uh, you can get uh, even up into the New Testament. Let's take a look at the book of Ruth, for example. Naomi moved to Moab because of a famine in Israel, so she, now she's a foreigner. Her sons married Moabite women, but they both died, and her husband died. When she's headed back, her uh, her her daughter-in-law, who is a foreigner, says, I want to go with you. And she tells one of them, no, go back to your household and to your gods. And the first one left, but but in Ruth in verse 15 says, no, your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And um, after this, uh, Ruth has relinquished her gods and her household or national heritage. When she gets back, she does as poor as two people do. She cleans up behind the people reaping crops so she can eat, as Leviticus 23 prescribes. So she, um, when you reap your harvest, do not uh, get to the edges of the field, gather the gleanings for your harvest. Um, leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you, for I am the Lord your God. So um, Boaz comes out and helps her. And Ruth asks, why have I found favor with you? I'm a foreigner. And Boaz um, says, well, I heard what you did for your mother-in-law. You left your mother and father's house to a homeland of people you do not know, and you've come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. She has become under God's protection now. She, she, has this, that, she says, I don't even have the status of one of your servants. 
Later, she's told her mother-in-law about what happened, and he, she says, oh, yeah, he's one of our guardian redeemers. So her mother-in-law says to basically, look, uh, go and uncover his feet, <laughs> which is uh, kind of an idiom, obviously. And uh, Boaz says, look, uh, I would love to, you know, to marry you, but uh, yeah, yeah, I can't do it because there's somebody that's a more close guardian redeemer than me. So he goes to the city and asks the guy, will you uh, redeem Naomi's property? And he says, yeah, I'll do it. And he goes, okay, but then Boaz pulls this move where he's like, okay, cool, but uh, Ruth the Moabitess, you know, the foreigner, she's attached to the household, so you're going to have to marry her as well. You're acquiring her, you know. And then he's like, uh, well, uh, no, then I'm good because why? What's his, what does he say? Because if I do it, it will um, put my inheritance at jeopardy. So Boaz ends up marrying her anyway himself. Um, now let's look at uh, one more example of God condescending to settle a dispute. The daughters of Zelophehad comes to um, Moses and says uh, that their father had died in the wilderness before they got to the land. So why should their property go away just because they had no sons? She said, they said, look, we're women, but why couldn't we get uh, property? And, and Moses and this is uh, um, Zelophehad's daughters are um, – uh, Moses goes to God in prayer. Moses goes to God in prayer and says, uh, why can't we, you know, uh, they're asking for this property. And God says, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them the property as an inheritance among their fathers and relatives as an inheritance to them. This is, and then the last line, this is to have the force of law for the Israelites uh, as the Lord commanded. All right, now let's look at a few notes. Uh, Milgram points out that there is another um, uh, in Deuteronomy, I mean, Leviticus chapter 28, that some people take it, such as Muff's, um, uh, a marriage adoption formula, which is found in Exodus and Leviticus 20, Exodus 6 7, Leviticus 26 12. Laura Culbertson, the Slaves and Households, she says that, uh, uh, number one, that uh, there is no um, what we think of as slavery. She says that often there people, problem of the defining slavery is the appeal to the dichotomy versus slave versus free. Historians of the Near East history have reportedly pointed out the incapability of this polarity and One noted the idea left. of complete individual freedom was in fact known unknown in the modern world. So there was no individual freedom known in, in the pre-modern world. Christ said, blessed are the poor and the gentle. Whatever you do to the least of these, you also do to me. The last will be first, the first will be last. First Corinthians 7 is, were you a slave in your call? Don't let it trouble you. But uh, if you can, gain your freedom. For the one who is a slave when called to the faith of the Lord is a person. Similarly, the one who was free is called in Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Don't become slaves to human beings. Uh, there's neither Jew, Jew nor Gentile, free, um, uh, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all heirs according to the promise. For if the inheritance depended on the law, uh, it didn't depend on the promise, God's grace. Uh, I can't read this because of the thing over there, but basically says that uh, why then has the law been given? It was added because of transgressions. And then lastly, the, the last couple are just basically saying the adoption language. He says that we were adopted, we were redeemed, um, we were adopted as sons into the family of Christ. And, and time. So, okay. We are going to jump into, tonight we have a little bit more of a, you could say a little bit more of a structured format. In particular, we're going to have an eight-minute rebuttal. This one coming in from Aaron, the floor is all yours. Oh, I think you might be on mute yet. RN, I think you might be on mute. 
Uh, let me ask on you. There you go. All right, no worries. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to need much to rebut because um, there wasn't really anything to rebut. All the pretty pictures and irrelevant references failed to address any of the necessary points of this debate. Uh, my opponent neither re uh, rebutted the reverses that advocate slavery nor presented anything to contradict them. And never did he present any statement of the Bible prohibiting slavery or the institution or condemning the institution of slavery. Though he alleged that there are parts of the slave Bible that cut out the parts about, you know, Hebrew slaves escaping Egypt and a few other places that, that talked about how uh, the slaves might get redemption later on because, of course, in the United States they wanted to keep people oppressed. But none of that uh, ever condemns the institution of slavery either. Uh, otherwise, there was a moment when he sort of implied that there are times when a master can decide that they like their servants, either as family, friends, or perhaps as pets. And he presented one first that was justifying slavery in this life on the impossible promise of a posthumous reward in the next life. So he didn't give me anything to work with. He didn't present anything relevant. My point stands unaddressed. We'll kick it over to Converse for his opening, or I should say eight-minute rebuttal as well. Converse, the floor is all yours. All right. Thanks, James. Yeah. So let's start where he ended. Uh, I didn't rebut his stuff in my opening. Well, it was one of the points that I made in the openings that I want to do that, but I won't be doing that in my opening for the reason why he didn't rebut anything in his opening, because that's not what it's for. He mentioned the slave Bible and brought up the point that I brought up, uh, but then he really didn't say anything about it. He just said, oh, he brought that up, but then nothing, just crickets. Um, so, first of all, he says that, uh, oh, in Leviticus chapter 25, um, the, it says that you may not rule over uh, ruthlessly over your uh, fellow uh, brothers. And he says this implies that uh, you can do that over the foreigners. But Jacob Milgram in his commentary on it, uh, which uh, Dr. Josh quotes in his book, says that uh, there is. Uh, there's a direct parallel between these two, but when it comes to this um, ex expliciting uh, or making this explicit, there is an uneasiness in this and it is inferred from the pericope structure. But however, this leaves the topic um, uh, as an injunction unresolved. So he points to the fact that uh, it repeats the injunction of D not to treat the Israelite harshly, implying that the non-slave may be treated harshly. This conclusion can only be drawn by comparison and two panels. Apparently, there was some uneasiness, so they didn't ex explicitly state it. So that's showing that, look, just be he's saying that you can't draw that conclusion because the Bible doesn't draw that conclusion, and it uses an exact parallel until it gets to that point, and then it does not use the rest of that parallel because it's not saying that you can treat those people that way. Matter of fact, if you look at Leviticus chapter 25, you're going to see that you're supposed to actually treat the um, the Hebrews or the uh, Israelites. He says Hebrews, but the Israelites as foreigners. It actually says that in verse 23. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, um, sorry. Uh, I believe verse 20, 35. Yeah. Um, yeah, 35. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take any interest or profit from them and so forth. Okay. So this is supposed to be about the foreigner, except you're supposed to treat them like the foreigner is odd. Um, 
But on my view of the household, which is laid out in Households and Engineers by Laura Culbertson, um, the foreigner residing amongst you, if um, they are also treated under the same law. There's a great book by uh, Mark um, Mark Glenville called Refuge Reimagined, where he points out the uh, uh, adoption, marriage, kinship, which is used. I think Leviticus chapter 25 is actually using that. So um, whenever it says in verse 45 that um, you may also buy from the temporary residents among you, right? These are the ones, uh, the Tosab. Uh, to, sorry, uh, living among you as members of your clans, born in your country, they will become your property. The word property there is akuzah. Um, it's never used as of a human being. Uh, this would be the only. Uh, this would be the only usage of it out of the entire chapter and the entire Bible. Uh, but rather, I think it's better in, in light of Deuteronomy chapter 32 uh, to be translated as a part of your inheritance. Um, so they are to be. Uh, passed as part of the inheritance that same way Ruth was when Ruth came and um, she was uh, part of the household. So when he said to the other guardian redeemer, will you redeem the, the property? And he says, yes. And he says, but Ruth's attached to this, this house. Then he goes, then I'm not going to do it because it'll put my inheritance at jeopardy. So I think that unless you want to translate this one verse, uh, or this, this word uh, in this one place different from all the others, that's going to have to be a hermeneutic that you're going to use throughout. And then you're going to have to explain why, then, this whole chapter is about redemption. It's about um, redemption for the um, for the citizen. And not only that, but scholars have pointed out, as well as Dr. Josh, uh, no R in this, um, that this isn't actually about can you own slaves, this chapter. I know a lot of people think that. But when you look at the scholarship on it, no, this is actually – targeted toward outlawing or abolishing, as some scholars put it, slavery for citizens. It's actually never, it's the norm in the ancient world to uh, to have slaves. Um, but also um, you have issues with ownership. First of all, if it's if this is saying you can own the, them as Akuzah, as property, well, it specifically says in Leviticus chapter 25 that God owns the Akuzah and that nobody else can own it. He says the land cannot be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside, the citizen, in my land as foreigners and strangers. So that's twice in this same chapter that God called the Israelites foreigners and strangers, and he told them that they can't sell any of the land because it does not belong to them. They're not owners. They are mere holders, possessors of it. So in the same way, these people are being attached to the household. He says that um, um, Exodus is only talking about the Hebrew slaves being free. Then why does it say that a mixed multitude came out of there together? He says that the Hebrew wife doesn't go out as the uh, uh, as the the, the um, as the husband, but as Dr. Josh points out in his book in uh, Deuteronomy 15, it actually explicitly makes a development and changes. Converse, just in case you're able to hear me, we have a, we we missed the last five words or so of what you said, Converse. You're, it looks like your the connection. So that then it says, sorry. We missed the last maybe 10 seconds of what you said. I think your connection kind oh, of ebbed. Oh, sorry. I said that uh, – um, so he says that the Hebrew's wife doesn't go out when the uh, the Hebrew goes out, 
But as Dr. Josh points out in Deuteronomy chapter 15, I believe it is, that is actually updated. And uh, as he calls it, a development where now the wife does go out. He said that Jesus says that slaves obey your masters. Jesus never says that. Paul says that. Uh, but Paul um, is living under the Roman Empire. Paul is not in charge. As has been pointed out by Del Martin and plenty of others, New Testament scholars, that he is in no place to make a law. One he's minute. living. He's living under the rule of the Romans. They're not in charge. So he says, as I pointed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're a slave when you're called to Christ, don't let it you know, worry you too much. Like you're still, You can still be saved. But if you can free yourself, avail yourself of the opportunity, and don't make yourself a slave to human beings. I'll, I can end there. But You got it. We'll kick it back over to Aaron for his five-minute, or we should say five-minute, five, eight-minute re- no, no, no. Five-minute cross-exam of Converse Contender. Thank you very much. Aaron, the floor is all yours to ask questions of Converse. Oh, you're st- let me unmute you. I think it's still on there. There it goes. Yeah. All right, so on the one point that he brought up um, about treating for I was talking about treating foreign slaves with less care than you would give Hebrew slaves because that's what Exodus requires you know and that that was about the only thing that he brought up there that was relevant except possibly the very last thing which I'm going to ask him to repeat the last thing was yeah. that um it's been pointed out by uh, multiple scholars that um, the New Testament authors aren't in a position to make laws for people. They're living under an authoritarian uh, re, uh, Roman government. So when Paul says something like, if you can free yourself, avail yourself of the opportunity, but if you can't, don't let it be too much, of, you know, don't let it bother you too much. He's saying like, look, we don't have the power to change this right now. Okay, mm-hmm. but Christ will come back and he'll change it. The first will be last and the last will be first, you know? Okay, never mind. It wasn't relevant after all. Okay, so at what point, uh, how how do you how do you contest the Bible giving God's permission to to keep slaves? When when God says you may have slaves, you may buy them and their children and so forth, and a man can sell his daughter into slavery, and but she can't be let go under the same rules because God has different rules for how slavery is supposed to work. How do you, had, nothing you said here even relates to the point or the topic? Yeah. So whenever you, I was going to say in the rebuttal, but I ran out of time. So it's the same point. Whenever you say that uh, you shall buy them, you're using the word shall there. Um, you're making it seem like he's saying that, that like this is something you ought to do or something. Well, what did I, I use? Uh, in, Pick a different translation then. That's you fine. may that's buy fine. them. Doesn't matter. Listen, look, whenever in Westbrook's uh, a translation, he says, as for male and female slaves that you have, you may acquire slaves from the nations around you. You may mm-hmm. also acquire them from the alien residents with you and from yep. their families who are with you and, been yep. born, and who have been born in your land and you shall yep. have them. Uh, so it doesn't part. say that you, you shall not purchase slaves because that's evil and bad and naughty, right? It doesn't say anything like that, right? Yeah. So my point okay, so is God that gives I don't his think permission this is slavery. to yeah. buy slaves, to keep slaves, and have them forever, and specifies yeah. in a number of different places the th- how to treat your slaves, how to how badly you can beat your slaves, how much the slaves should cost, how much male slaves at a certain age should cost more than female slaves of another age. So God supposedly, you know, we, we know that the the book isn't written by God. Obviously, as people pretending to speak for God, but nonetheless, the Bible says 
all of these provisions for how slavery is to be maintained and performed. And where does it say, where does it contradict all of that to say that no, slavery is is evil and a sin and an abomination worse than eating shellfish? Okay, well, yeah, so there's a few things there. One is, I don't, like I've said in my opening, I think what's happening here is the same thing that's happening with Ruth. She's actually entering a household, being attached to the households as a foreigner, so that as uh, uh, it's been pointed out by Dale Martin and by Laura Culbertson, that this is the only way for slaves upward mobility in societies back then. So it's not, I don't take this as actually being a slave. It's like a type of household adoption or marriage. Um, but also whenever you talk about um, the last point you made about shellfish, people always bring up shellfish and mixed fabrics and stuff. Like, as I said before, uh, like, like these are things for their time. Mixed fabrics wasn't just a thing about our clothes today. It was like they were trying to be a cop. They were putting on a cop's uniform. This is what the priests wore was mixed fabrics and stuff. Shellfish was – yeah, so the, the point was they were lying about who they were. It was a disguise and so forth. So, like, I'll argue, like, Christ says, as, as again, that Christ, that um, Moses gave you things for the hardness of your hearts. It wasn't that way from the beginning. The beginning is Eden. If you look at there, where there are people owning slaves and where there are people, you know, uh, murdering each other and all this stuff. No, there wasn't. So, there, there wasn't that's people the idea. murdering each other? Not needed, no. no. Like there was the no. entirety of, of the Old Testament? Uh, like uh, Moses didn't um, kill the Egyptians? James and, and, Eden, there wasn't. I'm sorry, what? Converse, uh, I don't know if are we having a problem? I think if you are able to turn your camera off, Converse. Yeah, we... sorry. I think I'm better now. We, I think we're losing your audio. I think we're there. good now. We've it's happened several times. If yeah. You insist on keeping your camera on, but if it happens one more time, I'm just going to turn it off myself. Because it we do it is sometimes happening where we we lose ten seconds of what mm. you're saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was saying in Eden, there's not any. It's not in Eden. There wasn't any murder. But I, I would restart my uh, audio. Okay. Well, well, in a in a city or in a in a community of a population of two. It's not terribly surprising that there wasn't any murder in that story. But that doesn't okay. that doesn't address any of the rest of it, does it? I mean, none of it. Okay, that's just what you asked me. So I was just it's your question. I actually, I didn't it. ask you anything having to do with the story of Eden. Okay, you said there wasn't murder then, and I said no, not Eden. Yeah, you you said that you, what that we were talking about in general Bible times. You said they there weren't people keeping slaves, which of course there were, and you said they weren't people running around, you know, murdering each other, which of course they were, and Moses was responsible for an awful lot of that in the very sacred pavels that we are talking about. Okay, that's fine if you want to say that, but uh, I disagree. Um, you disagree that Moses murdered people? Well, no, I was disagreeing that what you were saying that I was saying, I wasn't saying any of that. Okay. I, I wasn't left. saying anything that you were saying. I was only commenting on what you were not saying. You didn't address the verses in the Bible that advocate for slavery. As a matter of fact, you admitted that they do. And then I guess not the case. tried what you thought would be an excuse to, 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 to nullify that. Maybe I, I have no idea what you thought your argument was. That's right. You don't. We'll go into the five minutes of cross-exam by Converse of Aaron. Okay, Aaron, do you uh, do you think that any allowance of uh, 
holding people as servants uh, to do the labor for you is uh, uh, if you you know deal with it at all that you promote uh, slavery. Can you phrase that as an intelligible question? If you do, you think that that any allowance of slavery is promoting slavery? That any allowance of slavery is promoting yeah. slavery. So the, if I if there are four or five categories of slavery that I recognize and I promote one of them, am I promoting slavery? Yeah. Promotion of any one of the categories would be promoting slavery. Okay. You don't have to well, promote all of them. If you're promoting one of them, then well, no, I said allowing. Yes. I said allowing for any of them. Allowing for any of them. Yeah, like if, if I were to allow my neighbor, for example, to own a slave or something to that effect to work for him. In what uh, in what case is this up to you? What what are I'm you able asking, to do about it? Let's say let's say that he were to have a slave and he were to uh, make products and I purchase products from him uh, from mm -hmm. his slave. Does that make me promote slavery? Well, you you might be unwittingly so, depending on the situation. But if you are aware that this person has a slave, mm -hmm. are you going to continue to do business with That's that person? Yeah. So um, what I was going to say is that everybody's electronics today are, are taken out of cobalt mines and so forth that are used by slave labor. There's clear. Can you evidence, show me that uh, any of my devices books. by any of my brand yes, names or what have you are okay. made by slaves? Yeah, and but I'm going to be if asking they are, questions. If they, if they are, then I'm not going questions. to buy those devices. Yes, I can. It's de I can definitely show you that uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I somehow doubt uh, that seeing so, the point of the debate well, that's, where you've that's gone fine with it so far. Yeah, but that's it's, fine. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, look, if you want to speculate aimlessly, that's fine, but what I'm saying is, that's what you're doing. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. It's clear. Look, this is my Just to be sure that you guys aren't talking over each other, I'm going to interrupt because they can't hear you if you guys are both talking at the same time. So you're going to have to take turns. Yeah. So, so I would not knowingly. Okay, now you're both talking again. So, all right. So, Converse, go ahead and ask your question clearly in a quick, concise question only, and then we'll give Aaron a chance to respond. Yeah, so I, th I thought it was pretty quick and clear. I thought so uh, too. Right, I was so, answering it. Okay. So, um, yeah, so um, in Leviticus chapter 25 that you talked about so well, uh, well you actually you quoted from Jefferson Davis, which I found was odd, uh, and you seem to agree with him. Uh, it's odd that you were bringing up De Jefferson Davis, but it seemed like you had no familiarity with the slave Bible. What do you think about the fact that it Why took did... out every foundational story from the beginning? Well, I don't know. I don't have a lot of I haven't looked at the, the slave Bible to see what was missing. I know it exists. I know that it took out key portions for certain reasons because they wanted to keep slaves oppressed. So they would they would uh, they would take out anything that had to do with you know like forcing the masters to let go of the Hebrews or whatever, you know things like that. But like I said, I've never had a, a slave Bible in my hand, but I know that it exists. I I'm, was aware of Jefferson Davis because I'm an uh, activist in Texas and because my state board of education wanted to remove Thomas Jefferson as a reference from our social studies textbooks to replace him with Jefferson Davis. And in the citation that they pointed to was his justification in the Bible for slavery. Because, yeah, there are people in the Republican Party that I'm constantly fighting against who have actually advocated for the reinstatement of slavery. Yeah, so that's the danger of reading the Bible as some um, atheists read it today. As but some atheists read that's it why today. I, Was Jefferson Davis an atheist? Sorry. I are, the, are the GOP who supports I, I this? Ask, I mean, I can name a couple of people in the Republican Party who have advocated for the reinstatement yeah, of slavery. I guarantee you they're Christian, I, not I atheist. 
So it is not yeah. how the atheists read it. It's oh, how it's Jefferson Davis and these other gotcha. Christians, these white supremacists and yeah. so forth, it's how they read it. Okay, 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 we got it. Okay. I didn't say all atheists, did I? Okay, so... You didn't have right, so, to. There's no atheists so, that read the Bible like All right, that. sorry. Sorry, could I continue? All right. So you think that uh, doing an internal critique of this worldview is to assume a bunch of things that I don't believe about the Bible and then to try to critique it? Why would I do that? Why would I think that? It was especially being the opposite of what I've already done. Okay, so you're not doing an internal critique on the biblical worldview. No. We're talking about okay. the, the purpose of the debate today is, is the Bible pro-slavery? Has fuck all to do with your worldview. We're talking about what the text says, but not what some scholar says on his opinion, regardless of, of, of because of their worldview. It's what does the text say as people read it, as Christians read it, and then like Jefferson Davis, come up with that opinion of it, because that's how they read it. That's what they thought it said. You're supposed to address that. Is the text translated by scholars? To respond, I can give you a chance to respond, Aaron, and then we have to go into the closings. Okay. Is the text interpreted by scholars? Yeah, lots of different ways. Not that that's relevant either. We'll jump into the closing statements. These are five minutes each as well. First, <clears throat> Aaron, the floor is all yours. I'm sorry, what are we doing now? Closing statements, and then we'll have Q&A. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the point of the Bible, or the point of the, uh, the discussion here... Can you read the Bible and come away with the impression that it advocates slavery? Since God gives express permission and guidelines on how you may own slaves and how you can buy them from the neighbors and how you can even keep children as slaves and they are to be your property forever and all of these things, that they, and never, ever, ever, ever once does it ever contradict that, not even on moral grounds like it should, like it would, if it wasn't pro-slavery, if it wasn't pro-slavery, it would be either neutral about it or it would condemn it. There would at least be a contradiction in there somewhere, but there's not. Always, only, ever, yes, you can have slaves, yes, you can keep slaves, yes, be like slaves, be like slaves unto Christ, whatever. That's the message throughout, consistent, never changes. What I said, folks, sorry, I was muted. I was able to hear you. We're going to go into a five-minute closing from Converse, followed by 35 minutes of Q&A. Converse, the floor is all yours. Thanks. Look, I'm, I don't know everything, okay, uh, but I've been reading a lot about the topic. Uh, I happen to think that Dr. Josh's book uh, is you know, quite a good introduction to the topic. Uh, all this, uh, At least most of the scholars I, I cited tonight are references from his book. Um, but I know that we obviously disagree on some stuff as well. We agree on some things. We disagree on others. When I started looking at the scholarship, I was surprised about how much disagreement there is. If you look at Bernard Levinson's book, um, uh, our paper, you'll see that there is just immense uh, disagreement between Milgram, Levinson, um, Van Cedars, and 
Yasher and many others. So, uh, but the point is like, look, a lot of the things that he said that like quoting Christ or quoting, you know, different people like weren't even quotes from them. So, I mean, like it's, it's, there's definitely a bunch of issues in this debate. I think that sometimes this is looked at as more of like a um, sporting event than it is an actual like uh, trading back and forth of ideas to see who's actually right. And that's uh, one of the problems I think with this debate bro culture. Um, I do want to say that uh, as Paul put it, um, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no wrong to to the neighbor. Um, Christ uh, let us know that like, look, you had uh, Moses giving certain laws because the hardness of the heart, like divorce, which is actually tied to, um, to uh, slavery in the sense that um, the wife was uh, part of the household. and uh, But you do have these huge distinctions. For example, uh, Arn used Israelite and Hebrew interchangeably, but there are papers that argue that they're not the same. Um, so you can read some of those papers. Uh, a lot of scholars don't think this is the case, but um, some do because there's a tight connection between the Ivory and the um, Apiru. And so... Um, you know, there's a lot to be said there. Uh, and then lastly, I guess I'll just end by saying, like, look, Paul, uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 2, I'm just going off memory here, says something like, Christ, although he existed in the very form of God, did not see the equality he had with God, something to be held onto, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant to serve us, even to the point of a death on the cross, and count yourself as nothing, put others before yourself— to reenact him. And then uh, as um, uh, was pointed out by, um, sorry, Tom Holland, not the actor, but the uh, classicist, um, Christ died a slave's death. He said the last will be first, the first will be last. He said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've also done to me. So, I mean, it's just a hard thing to tell Christians that when they read their Bible and they see all this stuff, that they're just insane and that these uh, five verses that you have um, you know, get rid of all the other lessons taught in the Bible. But uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Thanks. Thank you very much for that closing as well, Converse. We are going to jump into the Q&A and we want to say welcome to Aaron's friend. What is your dog's name? He is Bowie. Super cute. Yep. That face. <laughs> He's a uh, Dachshund Corgi mix and they call this breed a Dorgy. Super cute. Want to say, folks, before we jump into the Q&A, a couple of quick housekeeping things. In particular, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen, Modern Day Debate has a podcast. Folks, if you have not yet checked out the Modern Day Debate podcast, pull out your phone or pull up your favorite podcast app on your phone. Find Modern Day Debate as it is ad-free. You can listen to debates on the go. We want debates to be available as much as possible. And so do check that out. We also take out the music. If you don't like the music at the start here on YouTube, well, hey, no music on the podcast. Check it out. With that, we're going to jump into the Q&A. Thank you very much for your questions. Do appreciate it. This first one coming in from Von Zoom. Appreciate it. It says, may I debate on here sometime? Absolutely, Von. And I saw an email came in from you. I'll get back to you. Also said, Arnon Ra, thank you for helping in my deconstruction. I don't know if that's slang or if he meant deconversion, but in either case, sounds like he's thanking you, Arnon. Yeah, this one coming yeah. in from Magellan says, my ears are bleeding. Thank you for that. Very informative. <laughs> Camp counselor Steve says, nice sermon, Converse, but please address the topic. Thank you. Converse, any thoughts? Did you not address the topic? 
Yeah, I mean, he's just being lame. I don't really care about that. <laughs> you got it. All right. This one from Magellan as well. It says, Converse, I cannot actually discern individual words. Let's see. Melody Kate says, Are you saying people are adopted and not slaves in the Bible, Converse? So Ruth was not raped and owned. She was an adopted family member. Yeah, that's right. If you look at Ruth, she specifically goes to do uh, goes to uncover the feet of Boaz, meaning to sleep with him. And he says, "No, wait, wait, wait. Look, I'd gladly do this, but um, there's somebody closer than me in the family. I'll go to town tomorrow, and like I'll I'll see if he will marry you and take over the house. If he won't, then I'll do it. Okay." And then she's like, oh, yeah, okay, and he does it, okay? So he comes back whenever the other guy's like, I'm not doing that. No, I'll put my inheritance at Jeopardy. So, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And as far as adoption goes, yes, you can read Mark Glanville's work, and uh, you can read uh, as well in um, – uh, there's a few things in Milgram that talks about this as well. Muffs takes the position, for example. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it, S – or I should say nine deal nine. I didn't see a question attached, but put it in the chat as a normal question. And I can ask that if you'd like. Bitter Truth says, Aaron, I'm your fan. Since I watched your debate, you defeated Nadir Ahmed. What brings you out of religion myths? I think they're saying what's brought you out of religion most of all. Maybe most of the, what's the primary factor, let's say. Now, for, for me, you don't have to, it's not that I believe something and you have to prove it wrong. It's that if I think that this is, you know, this is true or closest to the truth, or what have you, and I want to improve my understanding of it, and then in that investigation, I discover that what I was told was true was in fact not true, and and that there is actually no truth to it. I've already stopped believing it. If you can't show that there's any truth to it, we're done. If it requires faith, we're done. You got it. This one coming in from Duchess of Clutches. TTV says, does the Bible contain the same prescriptions about adultery as it does for slavery? Can you commit adultery if you treat your mistress nicely, Converse? Oh, you might. Let me check. Well, Christ. Okay. No, I'm, I'm good. Uh, so Christ said uh, when he was talking about divorce, he said that you're, you, you can't divorce. Uh, Moses gave that law because the hardness of your heart. He said, but except on the case of adultery. So he did make that um, explicit, that rule, to be separated. This one coming in from, do appreciate it, Lethanitol HV, or HVAC says, Aaron, was slavery always wrong? If so, why didn't any secular intellectuals ever criticize its existence? But it was Christians who have led the abolitionist movements, recently William Wilberforce. Okay, so why have all why have all secularists criticized slavery? I think they're saying it's so. Why why didn't any pretending, secular? They're pretending that no intellectual, that no secular intellectual ever condemned slavery, when that's just false. Of course they did. A this number one... of Christians did too, but that doesn't mean that this is an atheist versus Christian thing. You also have to remember that you know for a long time there was under the rule of uh, you know kill the infidel the unbeliever on the word of one or two witnesses and you don't have to go you know somebody who understands natural selection will certainly understand that you don't have to go through too many generations of that before all you have left are blind believers right so it's it's hard to have a community where you can express free thought when they're going to kill you over it 
So there's there's that to consider as well. You got it. And thanks very much for your super chat question, or I should say announcement. James W. says, after show at A.B. Newman's channel. That's linked in the description, folks. If anybody wants to do an after show for our debates, we are always willing to give them a plug and put them in the description box, folks. So if you ever do want to do it, we're willing to do it for you, too, whether you be Christian, atheist, Muslim, you name it. They say, if so, why didn't any... Uh, they said, Aaron, we would be honored if you would stop by and... There's going to be an open mic. Folks, you should come and celebrate why you think Aaron was more persuasive or tell us why you didn't think he was more persuasive. Thank you to all of you. Thanks for that, James W. That's linked in the description box. Yeah, I got to comment on that, James. I'm wondering why it wouldn't be honor if I stopped by. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Juicy, to say the least. Alphanetic says, question for Aaron. Richard Dawkins said he is done debating Christians because they are so impossible to reason with. How close are you to this point? <laughs> uh, very nearly. Uh, I only do this uh, for, the, for the spectators. I frequently get, and I want to say that I, I average about one a day, uh, messages from former believers thanking me for something I did that helped them you know, walk their their way out of uh, out of the, the delusions of religious faith and into rationality. So I mean that that keeps me going. That keeps me doing this work. It's a little bit at a time, but it's something juicy. This one from Bite Me XD. You know this one's going to be good. Okay, they say R. They say Aaron won the debate as usual. Who was Converse? Thank you very much. As they say, good James, one. thanks for changing the intro song i believe in your channel thank you for your kind words and now you know who converse is he's linked in the description if you want to hear more from him as well as Aaron. Aaron, did you have anything to add i just want the one thing that that uh, converse said that i agree with that when you do these live debates it is performance art it's not about communication of ideas i would much rather that and the, the only way to do those type debates is to have it in writing you know, where you don't have a live audience. You put a live audience in it, then it's a performance. 100%. Yeah, and you know what? Ozzy Manzius, uh, you might know him from way back, G Plus days. Uh, I actually talked to him about that not too long ago. He's uh, like one of the most popular atheists at, uh, uh, online. And he says, look, back before we had these hangouts like this, we had just writing. We just had keyboard chats. And so you couldn't get by with rhetoric that you can get by on here. You have to type it all out. So I can yep. check it line by line and respond. And exactly. the same thing was said by Dr. Michael Heiser, where he said, debating is a waste of time. Just give me a paper to read. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Juicy. I'm intrigued by it because I know Heiser is quite the intellectual. I do have to ask if Heiser, given that, you know, I'm at least partisan in favor of debates, if Heiser has read the empirical literature on randomized controlled trials on whether or not debates, video debates, are persuasive, I can tell you I have. So. Oh, good, yeah. Look, James, I'm not saying that debates are useless, right? That's was Heiser's view. My view is that debates could be more productive if they weren't such, um, like, uh, fandom, you know, like, fandom-esque. Say, yeah. Sometimes there's too much rhetoric and tribalism. I can agree with that. 
Eddie Dean, there's, thanks there's so much. A, there's an aspect of how you do these live debates. You know, the, both of us show up. We don't know what the other one has said. We're going to have to address everything that the other one said without having heard it. That's a problem already. Then I've noticed when we do, especially like dealing with creationists and such, they'll pull out uh, some scientific paper that I've never heard of that supposedly says something. And in written debates, I'll have the opportunity to read that paper that they cited before I make my reply, which you can't do when you're doing it live on stage. But in a written debate, I can. And invariably, I have always seen that the paper they cited that does not actually say what they said it did. But there's no way you'd know that in a live debate, which is just one of the many failures of doing live debates. Juicy to say the least. Eddie Dean says, Converse, it is clear to all listening that you didn't say anything close to the Bible as being anti-slavery. Will you clear that up, please? Yeah. Uh, I'll clear it up. I mean, how many times are you going to say clear? You know, it's maybe it's near, maybe it's clear. I'm like, dude, he said that it's clear to everybody. I'm glad you speak for everybody listening. But uh, besides that point, like, I mean, look, I get it. A lot of people like, like Aaron and same thing with Matt, Dillahunty and others. Like I've heard people call in and say to you know them that you're my idol and stuff, right? It doesn't mean that you can't just listen to what I said. Like I, I literally went through and cited verses. I cited scholars. I gave references. If you think I said nothing, you haven't even began to read on the topic. Look, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm saying that like if you think I said nothing there, you just haven't started at, at all yet. This one coming in from, do want to say, folks, I'm also fixing the links in the description box. Glad we're catching this while we're live. As someone let me know that the links were broken, so I'm fixing those right now. Appreciate the feedback. Mark Reed in the chat. And this one coming in from Cool Lambo says, if you cannot argue without ad hominems, then your argument has no merit. Fair Amen. enough. This one from James W. says, Converse, we would be honored to have you there as well. Let's go. <laughs> I like uh, Amy, so I don't, uh, yeah, we've never had any issues. I've always liked Amy, so. Let me just double check in case there are any last questions that I had not gotten to ask. Otherwise, we might wrap up slightly early. I was afraid that we were going to go over time. Let's see. This one says, got that one. Well, let me just say that, uh, you know, I can appreciate Aaron taking his time as well. Um, I, 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 I've seen some things from Arne. I know he, he really more specializes in, in things like um, evolution and, and certain things uh, in those aspects. So, I'm, you know, I can appreciate that. And, and as while, while I don't uh, know the arguments quite as well as him, I tentatively, you know, accept evolution as being the case and so forth. So I could, I've got some, um, you know, I've got some information off some of his videos that, you know, is informative. So there's that at least. Appreciate it. You got it. This one, let me just see. I think we might have the last of them. I'm going to reload the page here. I want to remind you, folks, a couple of things. First, as mentioned, well, actually, we hadn't mentioned this. Folks, if you love debates and you have friends who love debates, consider hitting that share button and sharing this debate with people out there, your friends in particular, so you can share that enjoyment with them. And we are determined. We are on a mission at Modern Day Debate to give everybody a fair shot, whether they be Muslim, atheist, Christian, anti-theist, all of the strange creatures in between. We really do want to give everybody a fair shot. So we appreciate when you do share our links as that does help a lot. Eddie Dean with a quick last question says, Converse, will you please say, quote, the Bible is against slavery? Would you, I think they're saying, would you go that far? 
Yeah, I would say the Bible's against slavery. Yes, that's um, it's not pro-slavery, and it is against slavery. Yes. So I think that the thing is, I don't think Christians sometimes are nuanced enough, and I don't think they give, for example, uh, Dr. Josh enough credit. Um, and and people hate me for this. You gotta understand, I'm in an unenviable position. The atheists hate that I'm arguing for the position that I am, right? But the Christians aren't backing me up in the comments and stuff saying, oh, no, no, he is right. No, they're saying, stop giving him credit. Like, so, but I'll say that uh, even on his view, the Bible has a development where it moves away from these things. He just says that he doesn't think it goes far enough. He even said one time that, look, Leviticus chapter 25, given what it's saying there about free, uh, abolishing this for uh, citizens, I'll go as far as to say that it, it, it does look at it as a bad thing, uh, but it doesn't go far enough is what he says. So, like, look, you got to give credit where credit is. You got it. This one from T.O.O. I'll be interested in asking Dr. Joss about that. T.O.O. TLO says, is there a single verse that outright condemns slavery, or is there no such verse? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I would take, uh, I mean, if, if you just mean, because this is, I get confused by this question sometimes. Sometimes people say, is there any verses that are like abolitionist type verses? And then I'll quote one, they'll say, no, that doesn't say slavery's done, right? And I'll say, oh, you don't mean verses that can be used for abolition. You mean Verses that say slavery's done or something, right? And in the New Testament, they just didn't have that power. So Paul says, look, if you can get free, get free. Don't be a slave to humans, right? But if not, it shouldn't bother you too much. Um, but then in the in the Old Testament, um, as I pointed out in Leviticus chapter 25, that whole passage is about abolishing slavery for non for, for citizens. And so um, I would say in that sense, um, it does for citizens. And then I think it goes, um, you know, with the other verses that I cited, it goes to outlaw it. But there's no explicit verse that says it's done now. It's just out of context, you know. Paul thought that Paul probably thought that the end was near. So why try to go out of your way to fight the government when the end's near? You know. Like, so there so. is no verse in the Bible that condemns slavery. There are I didn't several say that condemned. promote it. I didn't say they condemned it. No, I didn't say condemned. I don't think there's any Bible verses that promote it, but I didn't well, say... I read some. Yeah, I thought and, all and the ones... You said that they were actually about condemning slavery, even though God is saying you may own slaves, you may buy them, you may keep them forever. You're saying that's really condemning slavery. Yeah, I'm saying that no scholar who writes on that is saying that that is about the fact that you can own slaves. Owning slaves was the most normal thing, one of the most normal things in the ancient world. It's like capitalism. So then, of course, but if the Bible is the product of its time, and the time was pro-slavery, then the Bible is pro-slavery. No, because you didn't let me finish. What that passage is actually about, when you read the scholarship, is about abolishing it for citizens. You can only have the household the people in your household come from the foreigners around you. So it actually is abolishing amongst foreigners, and I think that that's adoption, as I said, into the household for upward mobility in society. But so you can even disagree. if that were true, and I don't think it is, but even if it were true, you're only talking about depriving certain people of their ability to own slaves while not condemning the institution at all. No, I don't think that's the case because, as I said, why would you make this entire chapter uh, outlawing slavery among citizens if, in fact, it was fine? 
you well, should just was, yeah, not if, do that. If it was fine, then you would keep it for everybody else. Just not certain people wouldn't have. But if the if the institution if Bible is not pro slavery, then the Bible would condemn slavery. It would not endorse and promote slavery like it does. Yeah, I don't think it does at all. I think and, like and, I said, and not just pro, uh, promote uh, and endorse, but permit as well. Yeah, if it permits, uh, allows for, uh, promotes slavery, then so do you when you bought that microphone. Because you allowed for it to come into your home, you paid your money for it, it was made by a slave. And yes, it can be proven. So um, it's easy. I like most people know this is pretty common sense. The materials are mined out of third world countries. So even if that were the case, what does that have to do with the Bible? The case, it, the, the, even if that were the case, because when people say, like, uh, oh, if it even allowed at some point for this to take place, well, you allowed for these things to come to your home. Yeah. Are you no, just as bad it, as it? I don't know if this hairbrush was made by slaves. Okay. If you can show me that it was, why, well, hey, buy, I won't buy a hairbrush from this company anymore. Okay. The problem I'm is. Not going to, I'm not going to allow even, you know, implicitly, I'm not going to allow you know, or, or promote or permit slavery where I'm aware of it. Okay. Well, the problem is this. We're talking about does the Bible, is the Bible pro-slavery? That's fine. You already said the the Bible endorses, the the Bible permits, promotes, and allows slavery for certain people. And you're saying that it's it's actually prohibiting against, I don't agree with that either, but you're saying that it's actually prohibiting slavery for certain people, but leaving the the institution intact. That the pop, the populace was pro-slavery. The Bible that is a product of this populace is very is obviously pro-slavery. It endorses slavery, gives God's permission for it, and you, no. you said nothing to address this. Yeah, I don't think so. You've even made the admission that there is not a single verse that condemns slavery, but you're going to say that the whole Bible does. No, I didn't say that. I said there's not a single verse that uh, abolishes slavery because it wasn't uh, – I mean there is one for the citizens alone, but in total it's just a progression throughout. But then the last thing I'll say on this maybe is um, – look, there is just um, – when you read a, this one verse out of context, right, and then you read the scholarship, you realize what they're saying is, wow, this is a groundbreaking um, passage in the ancient world. It's the only one of its kind – that's outlawing uh, slavery for citizens in any of the literature. No other literature goes as far as doing this. It's insane in the literature. So people don't I'm look at this look as this insane. Because I don't it's know fine. this verse, so I'm going to ask you for more one more reference so that I can look it up. But again, that still does not condemn the institution, even if it deprives certain people of, the, of being able to have their slaves, which I don't okay. think that does. But I have to read it before I yeah. Well, let me ask one more and question. I don't read here. anything out of context. Well, let me ask one more. That's fine. Well, let me ask one more question here. Um, if I if like, because I can get you the book about the cobalt mines and and how slaves are making all the electronic. Uh, okay. And what, okay. And what I'm saying, because what I'm asking you about consistency is, okay. if you have those books, you said you wouldn't allow or permit any of this stuff to come to your home. So, if that's the case, are you going to stop buying electronics if you were taught that? If all electronic, you're saying all electronics now. Not just anything with lithium, anything with cobalt, anything anything with all that. that Every product that includes lithium, every battery that you can buy, double A, they're all made by slaves. Lithium, yes, because all this stuff has to be priced accordingly, so they can't mine this out of expensive mines. So what? So there's an entire book written on it. I don't have the reference at hand, but I can get it for you. And if you see that, are you going to stop buying electronics? It would be difficult to not buy any electronics. Okay. But now I'm going to be forced into a situation. And again, this is on the assumption that you can prove that absolutely every single type of electronics 
are all made by okay. slaves, that's which fine. I think is an incredibly dubious claim. Okay, yeah, that's I, fine. I will, I will grant some some products are, and I don't buy those products because I don't knowingly support slavery. But what I do has nothing to do with what the Bible Fair. does. The Bible does knowingly support slavery. We'll jump to this next question. Eddie Dean. We got that one. Cool Lambo says, could God have created a world without slavery? Converse. Well, that's a good question. That's, the question is more of a philosophical question about possible world semantics. And um, while I'm not exactly, I'm not sure if I want to get into that, you could say, um, I'll just refer to an author named um, Dr. McGregor, which uh, Kurt McGregor, surprise, surprise to people who know me, uh, that I'm going to cite McGregor's book. Um, he, he, and he goes through this possible world semantics about what God could do, would do, you know, and all these types of things. Um I take a uh, view of Molinism, which says that, um, you know, God creates this world because it's the best feasible world. So, um, but again, if you're interested, uh, actually, here's the book, Molinist uh, Philosophical and Theological Ventures. There's also a few other good books uh, by Ken Keith. So Lee, wouldn't but, it have been a better world if the Bible did say that slavery was a sin and an abomination and that it was, and that it was wrong to own other people and force them into labor? That's where we, we're just disagreeing on that. So, so you you would think you think that the Bible the world is better that the Bible doesn't prohibit slavery. No, I think that the Bible so the you Bible can't, would be better if it did prohibit slavery or not. No, I'm saying we're disagreeing on the data. I'm saying you can't pick up the Bible and read all these foundational stories about the horrors of slavery and so forth, and then read through all these passages of, of these foreigners who are taken into households and accepted as part of Israel, one law for the foreigner and for the citizen, right, and so forth. You all the way through till you get to Christ saying, "Whatever you do to the least of these, you've also done to me." Paul chastises the the the, the um, people who come and eat and drink before the slaves get off work. In the New Testament, is pointed out and slavery as salvation by Doctor um, Dale. Yeah, I wish Martin. that that was something having to do with my question. Let me try it again because it's real easy. It's yeah, easy. I said we disagree. The answer on the requires just a yes or a no. It's so mm -hmm. damn simple. Would the Bible have been better? Would the world have been better if the Bible said, instead of you may own slaves, what if the Bible said you may not own slaves? Because that is an abomination and a sin and evil, and you shouldn't own other people and, and force them into servitude and bondage. Would the world have been better if the Bible prohibited slavery? That's a yes or a no. Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know the answer, but what I would say is that you don't not, know the answer. I'm not to even that question. I'm not even accepting your premise. Is the problem when I say we disagree on the data? My premise. Yes, the premise. What premise. Where, yeah, because I don't even think that's. That the, the, what, I don't think what this premise is, is involved in that question. Because would the I don't world think, have been better if the Bible prohibited slavery? I think it does. Is the point we're disagreeing on the data? If instead of saying, I mean, I was very clear about this, if instead of saying you may own slaves and you may buy them and you may keep them forever and you may inherit them to your sons, instead of promoting slavery like those verses yeah, definitely do, what if it said you may not own slavery? Would the world be better if you just put the word not in there? Yeah, what I'm saying is you're wrong about that passage, okay? You don't understand yes no what is being said. That. Yeah, well, would it be better if you stopped being your wife, yes or no? The point is you disagree about the content of the question. Do, the yes do you or admit no doesn't that it says you may own slaves? You admit that it says that? 
I don't. No, I don't even think that's. No, I don't even think that's slaves there. If you look at Laura Culbertson's work on the slave in the household, what do you think it says? I don't even think that it's slaves. Exodus twenty-one. What do you think? I, it I already, says? I already pointed out. Wait, that's not Exodus twenty-one. That's Leviticus twenty-five. I'm talking about Exodus twenty-one, where it says First you may own slaves. And I think that it's household adoption. What do you think it says? No, no, that's your point. You're talking about. Oh, Leviticus. You're talking about Leviticus 25. No, I was not. But I, I think that it, what it's actually 21. doing is it's saying you cannot own slaves. Exodus 21, what does it say then? If you buy a Hebrew Exodus 21 service, is a chapter. Doesn't what, which, that. Which, which verse are you talking about? Okay. Wait, you're right. That is 25. I'm getting them confused. I think you're talking about Leviticus chapter 25. Yeah, I am. I am. Sorry about that. Okay, so when it says that you may own slaves, you may buy them from your neighbors. What if it put the word not in there? Okay. Would the world have been better? Yep, no worries. Yes, it would have been better if the Bible actually did prohibit slavery. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, so um, it would take an exegesis of this passage, but I don't think that that's actually what's happening. As I said, I don't think the word evit uh, there is uh, actually slavery. Um, as Milgram points out, there is no uh, word. Only in Israel is there no separate word for chattel slavery in in Israel. Now, Does a lot of these scholars will still talk about it in the same way. The, the issue is that we've got to go to the next question. This one from Coffee Mom. Well, the bondage. I mean, different categories of slavery. Let's just like prohibit all slavery. Would that would that not have been better? Doesn't matter what category it is. Yeah, again, I don't think it's slavery. Okay, I think that the ancient world have. Yeah, that's fine. I don't think it is. Okay, everybody translates it as slavery, but you don't think it is. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so as I pointed out, Milgram says that there's no separate word. Only in Israel is there no separate word for slavery and servant. This one from Coffee Mom says, Converse, have you ever studied the Old Testament with Jewish scholars? I don't mean, uh, I don't know if she means in person or she just means like reading the works of Jewish scholars. Uh, mm-hmm. or anyone outside of Christian apologists. I think she means the works of atheist scholars as well, or Jewish scholars. Yeah, so uh, the the person I've been citing, Milgram, is a Jewish scholar. Um, he has uh, uh, Milgram, J- uh, Jacob Milgram, and then there's uh, plenty of others, like uh, ben, Dr. Benjamin Somers is another scholar that I'm I'm constantly reading. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, uh, there's a Yale series on YouTube. Um, I'm blanking on the name now, but yeah, plenty of them. Dr. Milgram's book on just four chapters of Leviticus is over 900 pages. Okay, so it's not like I haven't put in some time to read these things. Every one of these references that Josh put in his book, I picked up. Okay, Culbertson. I mean, you name it. I, I, I'm not somebody that's sitting up here just talking like random people do and say, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't believe it's there. I'm actually reading these resources that. that he's I mean, quoting. Every, every, all these okay? different translations of the Bible, they all say. No, you haven't because... seen, you don't know a single one of these books. You haven't read a verse out of them. Can you name a single I'm scholar that you've read the on the NIV, topic? The NIV, the KGV, the number of different translations, because I'm looking at this, that this one verse or these two verses in a multiple of different translations, and they translate it as slavery, but you're saying that all those translations are wrong. 
because you've got some scholar who then says that when the Jews say that they were complaining that they were in bondage, that it doesn't mean bondage. Apparently that means they were on vacation. I don't know what that means. Yeah, so number one, uh, there's like there's like six or four or five words for for slavery in, in that's used as slavery or servant in these passages, right? There's only one that for sure you know is what we're going to think about. That's a vet. but even that passage, there is no distinction, like I said, between the um, the person who's a bond servant and the person and you who's have not. To read it in context. And so I it says that you may keep yes, those children. And the children belong to them. They're your property, and you can have them all their lives and inherit them to your son. Yeah, and you don't think that's describing slavery? So, in the no, no, no. Of because even that word, for example, property, the scholars admit it's never once used of a human, except okay, for so translated when you're talking here. About the Hebrew man for, who puts the all through his ear, because the option is that if he goes free, he doesn't get to take the wife and children with him that he created, and why don't they get to go with him? Yeah, so as Josh pointed out in the book, it's outlawed in Deuteronomy chapter I mean, 15, where they say that now the wife does go out. So they actually, that actually was updated. But it doesn't matter because on the verse uh, that I quoted with Christ, uh, Moses just allowed for things because they're barbaric. So that's not even on my view, right? So, okay. yeah. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Tilo says, did God make our world knowing people would have slaves? If so, doesn't this make him directly responsible for the existence of slavery? This is kind of already brought up, but in terms of whether or not God is directly responsible, Converse? No, I don't think so. Um, this is going to be primary and secondary causation. If you look at the, you know, like some of the literature that's been on this, I have looked at some of it. Um, and basically, like, um, so think about this. You know for certain that somebody in your class, your professor, somebody in your class is going to cheat on the exam. But uh, in light of, you know, allowing for others to prove their honesty, you say, don't, don't cheat on this exam. Then you go to the bathroom, right? When you come back you did, and that somebody cheated, you did not make them cheat on the exam. They're the primary cause of their cheating, even if you knew that it would take place. So, yeah, I just don't think so. Um, but, yeah, again, that'll go into another topic that's uh, – not about this. Mr. Monster says, would the world be better if one of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not own slaves? It's a lot the same as, uh, like, would the world be better if there was no slavery? But if you want to address it, Converse, in the sense of whether or not it was embedded in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I mean, there is uh, the do not covet law to say don't covet your neighbor's slave. But, um, you know, I, I don't even think that's, I don't even take the same view that the slavery's ever even really talked about. I think that this is uh, at most a type of servitude. It was outlawed for citizens in Leviticus chapter 25. So, yeah, I could be wrong. You know, a lot of people disagree with me. So but that's uh, the current view. This one from Mr. Monster says, got that one. Talison Oberlander says the Roman Empire was Christian for over a thousand years. How did this persist until it fell when Christianity was its state religion. Yeah, so I don't take it that uh, we should put any stock in the fact that the Roman Empire, Christianity became the religion of the state. Like that, for me, that doesn't it doesn't matter because that didn't mean that they went they they stopped being you know terrible barbaric people. There's a book uh, by uh, Vince Bantu, a multitude of of all peoples that book goes through some of the atrocities that christians in that world 
committed on the pagans in that world. And so I'm not one of these like ultra, you know, right wing Catholics that say like, no, they, they started doing well, you know, as soon as it was passed, you know, to from Peter to Rome. I'm not taking that view. This one coming in from Cool Lambo says, did the early Christians read James Milgram? I think is James Milgram, do I remember right? That's the Jewish scholar when someone asked you if you read Jewish scholars and you said James Milgram was who? Was that the Jewish? Yeah, thing? that's right. Somebody um, asked me about that scholarship. That's why I cited it. But uh, did the early Christians read Milgram, who is you know dead now, but who wrote in the 20th century? Um, I think the answer to that is obviously no. Uh, but the what's underlying this question is to say, hey, what about the early church? Well, we did have a lot of um, you know early church fathers that that looked down on this, and, and some that uh, you know were early in their time. Uh, for example, um, Luis de Molina um, was early for his time to say, look, he had the rationale that if God gave us free will and slaves are just enslaved and brought in and you can't – they're not able to choose, we should let them choose are they going to become you know, Christians or not and so forth. So that was his rationale is they're not free to make the choice. So, you I mean, it. you know. This one coming in from Kavi Mom says anyone – if they're quoting – I don't know what verse they say anyone who beats their slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a result, but they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. I think she uh, wanted to know what you thought of that. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, again, I will appeal to Dr. Josh's book. It's one of the verses in the book that he says atheists go too far with. Because when he cites Milgram and some of these other people who talk about this passage, what they happen to say is, oh, this isn't at all what you think it is, where it's saying you can beat slaves as long as they don't die. He's saying that's too extreme. And instead, what he's saying is, look, this was about moderate correction. In fact, he was asked on a podcast about it, and he says, yeah, it's about like how they beat their children. And then somebody said, yeah, but it's more than them beating their children, right? This is They beat them more. And he goes, no, it's the same for the children and for them. It's correction. And that's why it says if you put out an eye or a tooth, they're to go free because that means you're hitting them in the head. That is not a spanking. That is not what the you know the Buddhist monks do, where somebody falls out of line training and like you know tries to run off and, and get to town or something. Like yeah, of course that spanking you, is barbaric. You you can torture them, but you can't kill them or or um, disable them by putting out an eye or a tooth. Yeah, because that just means that you you are swinging at their head. That's not correction. That's actually trying to injure somebody. Of course, beating them with a stick isn't really correction either. But well, it's the same as grandma's. Yeah, it's the same as grandma's. I agree with you that that type of correction is not uh, the best, you know. But I, but I'm saying that the same way. Nice if the Bible gave us the best something that actually would be correction. Look, as I pointed out in the in the presentation that god kept conceding ground he gave them plants to eat okay you don't have to kill animals eat but then he conceded meat to them and so you don't need a king god's your king but then he conceded to them okay you want to be enslaved by a king then take a king okay some of this stuff he's just giving you over to it but when he's asked about something like Zelophehad's daughters inheriting their father's property when they're like what women hey god goes yeah she's saying the right thing and you should do that for example. 
Eddie Dean says, Converse, there are plenty of books by credible authors that say that the Bible is pro-slavery. Have you read any of those? Knowing the counter-arguments is important, right? Yeah, he's exactly right. And let me just be clear here and point out for sure that there are a lot of people in the literature that's just going to say, I'm wrong, okay? They're going to say some people will take a position like this, some people are going to take a position like that. That's fine. There are credible scholars who say there is child slavery, but that this verse, for example, Leviticus chapter 5, they're going to say that still is outlawing it among citizens. It's just saying that um, it, they don't go as far as saying it's outlawing it for foreigners. So there are some, you know, a lot of scholars that say that, for example. So yeah, I have read the, the other arguments. The issue is that when you read the literature, you're going to see that some. it depends on how closely you relate it to the ancient world, the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians, and so forth, and then how closely you think – or how far away you think the Bible is because the Bible uh, it portrays itself as being stay away from what the nations do, right? You're going to be different, different people, one law for the foreigner and for the citizen and so forth, right? So it's, it's portraying itself as trying to get rid of some of the other stuff and regulate – but there are some things that are very close, for example. I want to quick squeeze this one in as we're already just two minutes past, but I do want to read at least one quick standard question. Bertie Numbnuts had asked way earlier in the debate. He said, question, Converse, is this Leviticus passage anti-slavery where it says your male and female slaves are to come from the nations around you, from them you may buy slaves? Yeah, so that's the verse we've been talking about. And the reason why I did the whole thing that I said that atheists will say is irrelevant with Ruth and all those types of things, right, is specifically because of this is the one passage really that's used um, about foreigners being different from you know citizens and so forth. But the problem is, like I said, when you read the literature, they're saying this is unique in the ancient world. Okay, this is outlawing abolishing slavery for citizens you can no longer own citizens because god gave them an inherited property but for uh, foreigners can can be um can go into these people's households and be passed down with the household as ruth was when the person uh who is the guardian redeemer as christ is our redeemer he went and he asked that guardian redeemer uh, will you take? Will you um, redeem her inherited property? And he says yes. But then he says, "But Ruth, the foreign Moabitess, comes with it." And he goes, "Well, then I'm not going to do it because it'll put my own inheritance. He's going to have to take on somebody to take care of and so forth." So, yeah, you could disagree if you like. It's fine. This is it for our Q and A. Want to say a quick, a couple of quick housekeeping things, Bertie. I'm not my pleasure in reading your question. Thanks for submitting and. Want to say, my dear friends, as you saw at the bottom right of the screen, DebateCon 3.1 is only three weeks away. And it's coming fast, folks. That's pretty quick. That snuck up on me. So I do want to say, hey, check out the links in the description, both for the in-person tickets if you're near Fort Worth, Texas, on April 22nd. That's Saturday, April 22nd. Hey, if maybe you're far away, the crowdfund link helps us cover the cost of the venue for these debates for this conference. If you throw a buck into the crowdfund, you watch the entire conference for free, live from home. And it's, it's an event you don't want to miss out on. We're pumped about it. And as I had shown you earlier in the debate, if you didn't know, if you have had your ears 
plugged with your fingers and you've been living in a cave on Mars, Aaron Ra and T-Jump are going to have a fun debate on whether or not religion does more harm than good. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be lively. It's going to be fun. And I'm sure there will be a cordial handshake afterwards. I want to say thanks to our guests, Aaron and Converse. It's been a true pleasure to have you tonight. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you guys. Nice to meet you, Aaron. Thanks, folks. Stick around. I'll give you more updates. Those links, as I mentioned, for the conference are in the description box. Check them out while you're waiting, and I'll be back in about 60, well, maybe even 20 seconds to share about upcoming debates here at Modern Day Debate, so stick around. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.